You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. And we are joined by our guest, the founder of White on Rice, for this masterclass on origami, Ross Simons. Ross, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So chat to us about what origami is. Hmm, origami. So origami is the, I guess, ancient Japanese art of uh, paper folding. Uh, the word origami comes from the Japanese, well, the Japanese word, obviously, but ori means to fold in Japanese. Uh, it's either ori or oru, I'm not exactly mm. sure. And gami or kami means paper. Mm. So paper folding. And so, so technically, the, uh, like a uh, those paper aeroplanes we'd have in school in class that we'd throw at each other's heads, would that qualify <laughs> exactly. as origami? Absolutely. So, there if you go. folded a paper jet, or you, I don't know if you remember those little people called them different things. They used to call them fortune tellers or yes. quack quacks. Oh my gosh, you I missed that. that. I know. So, you know what's strange is I think everyone across the globe has experienced origami at a young age. They just didn't realize it was actually origami. To be, so, to be honest, I actually wasn't aware, you know, until prior to this conversation that origami is just the, the, the uh, paper folding on its own. I thought it was specifically about, you know, doing the birds and, um, that there's a specific technique that maybe was being used. So now when I was reading, I was like, oh, wow, actually, I've been doing this all along. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you're exactly right. And uh, again, I mean, not many people know the origins of it, but folding a paper jet, you don't really associate with uh, like an ancient Japanese art form. <laughs> yes. So, it, yeah, and it started, uh, I think, I mean, the dates are... Uh, kind of blurred, but I think in the sort of 13th century, uh, in Asian Japanese cultures, they used to fold. Uh, obviously, it was also around the time when papers started becoming accessible. I mm. guess it was still a, I guess, a more prestigious or you know used for ceremonies and that sort of thing. Um, and children and women would fold little um, these little origami or paper folded cranes, birds, uh, anything that could accompany ornaments and jewels and crowns, whatever for, uh, I guess for the, you know, maybe not celebrities, but for, uh, for Kings and Queens mm. of that era. So that's, that's where it started. And over time, just, it was always just, you know, this thing that, um, that Japanese, and I think a lot of people in the East, uh, just did as a pastime, but it only really started becoming, uh, I guess, a. a a focus on the the actual origami design and you know what uh, kind of how pe- how people could push the limits of what is possible within the limitations of because generally origami you start with a single square sheet of paper mm. the size doesn't really matter but uh, that's kind of where it starts yeah I actually um, recall I mean outside of that quack quack situation where you know you'd like lift up and it's like oh it's blue and then it's pick pick a color and then pick a something and then you open it to something else we actually while we were in school because we'd love to pass notes to one another in class and of course you don't want to be passing along some you know visible paper for the teacher to see so we would get a technique where you'd fold a single a4 sheet into the tiniest little uh, envelope that you could just pass in your hand to somebody else and inside would be this whole handwritten letter uh, to your friend in class. So I, I see we've been doing this for a while. 
Exactly. The ancient art of uh, Japanese paper passing. Yeah, I guess it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting um, subject. And it's also something that not, like I said, not many people realize they have actually been doing it since they were, were a child. So how does, how did it now evolve? Because it, it, it started out as, um, you know, maybe you could call them decorative pieces or something to sort of honor uh, the royals. Where did it then evolve to? Apparently, uh, in the last, I, I'd say about 70 years, um, there was a, there was a Japanese, um, artist who dedicated his entire life to the art of origami. Um, and I think his name is Akira Yoshizawa. If mm-hmm. I might, I, I hope that's the right person because there's a lot of Japanese names and I'll probably just butcher all of them. But I know that he was quite key and instrumental in, uh, the, I guess the dawn of origami design mm. as it is known uh, in the Western world and around the world today. So what basically he just dedicated his entire life to uh, designing as many different um, animals, shapes, plants, whatever he kind of uh, wanted. And I, and I think he worked as a, as a postman. He was a very, very came from very humble beginnings and would just, you know, make as much money as he needed just to, you know, for himself and his family. But all his time was spent just designing origami pieces. Mm. Uh, and from that, he developed different techniques. It's like anything, you know, you, you start working on something and if you work on it enough, you're eventually in, inspired by nature or you're inspired by a conversation with somebody else and you start coming up with these different ideas. And I think that's exactly what happened with him. Uh, and over time, and as origami became, I guess, a little bit more um, accessible to the rest of the world, um, uh, more artists and more designers and uh, quite a lot of technical people as well started looking at this and saying, well, you know, these these guys are doing things with just folded paper, but uh, essentially you can fold anything that can fold that has a crease uh, in it, you can create something from. So I think that's where it, where it started happening. And around uh, the, the, the artist that at the moment is kind of the, I guess, the grandfather of origami design is a um, is an American artist named Robert Lang. Mm-hmm. And I urge anyone to go look at Robert Lang's work. It's, it's immaculate. He's, he's, he is a, I think he's a either a rocket scientist or a, I know he worked for NASA um, and he quit his job. Like I did, I was working as a web developer. He was just I think he was working as a scientist somewhere and just, again, just had this pure obsession with folding paper. Also coupled with his mathematical understanding, he's a very smart kind of numbers maths person, which I, I'll admit I'm not. Um, but reading his, uh, his he d- d- wrote a book, he's written a, a whole bunch of books, but one of the books that he did write was a book called Origami's, Origami Design Secrets, which you can get anywhere. And um, that book I think has been, I urge anyone who wants to get into the design of origami and even understand a little bit of the history and the literature around um, how to fold things into, you know, different shapes. Um, it's, it's been instrumental in my understanding of origami and, and also my um, ability to come up with my own designs, because that's, that's one thing with, um, with origami. It's like, it's one thing folding somebody else's design from a tutorial or a book, which is how every artist or every mm-hmm. origami artist myself has started, but taking that idea in folding enough of somebody else's designs and then saying, well, I understand the technical side of it. How do I apply this and how do I create something uh, brand new and unique? So you have to explain to me 
and I want to be sure I got this clear. You left a whole career to go fold paper. <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> Is that it in a it, nutshell? It a, that's it. I'll break it down for you and uh, everyone else so that it makes a bit more sense because I have this conversation with, I do it in a cheeky way. You know, people say to me like, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, fold paper. And I mean, the reality is I'd, it's, it's a lot more detailed than that. But basically what happened for me is I was a web developer in, um, I used to work in advertising. So building websites for brand campaigns and web apps and that sort of thing. So technical stuff, but I was always a very creative person and getting told what to do. I'm, I'm very bad at having a boss and being told what to do. So I always knew that I was, I needed to do something. That I was can't believe you, you being a rebel was folding paper because you didn't want to get told what to <laughs> I'm do. Rebelling. Yeah, there you go. I'm rebelling against the world. I'm going to go fold paper for a living. So, yeah, you go for it. Dude. Yes. And, and in 2014, I started an Instagram project where it, it wasn't even a project. It was really just a way of me keeping a digital record of all these little origami uh, shapes that I'd folded. Uh, so I, I set out to, I, I'd always, since I was a kid. Wait, can I take I you a step wanted, back? Can I take you a step back so that we don't lose a certain part of the story? How did you now get introduced to this ancient um, style of paper folding? What was the first introduction for you? Um, and when did you, what was it that drew you in? Hmm. So that was in 20, not even 20, it was 2000, oh, early 2000. So I think it was 2001 or 2002. My brother was studying at uh, Vega, which is a advertising school. Mm -hmm. And he had to do a project where he had to collect or get uh, each person in his family to contribute to this little project. He was, it was a sort of community uh, project. And he said to me, I don't know what made him say it. I mean, God bless my brother. He just said to me, why don't you fold me? I, I was, I just said to him, I don't know what, what must I make you, man? What do you want me to make? He's like, I don't know, make an origami bird. Mm. So I was like, okay, I found the instructions in a book or uh, early days of the internet. Maybe I could find one there. I folded that crane or bird in, in Japanese. They refer to it as the tsuru. And I just, for years, all I did after that project, whenever I had a, a square piece of paper in front of me, I would just fold that bird. It was purely just out of, you know, I have no idea why. I just, I was obsessed with perfecting and making sure I could fold that bird over and over again. Mm -hmm. I can eventually do it with my eyes closed. If I had a beer bottle in front of me, they used to make beer bottles with um, square labels, which was amazing. They've stopped doing that now, but I would tear the bottle, uh, the label off and then fold it into a, a little bird. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was early 2000s, uh, you know, when, cut the, when the folding bug bit you. Yes, exactly. And just over time, it took me ages to realize that there were other designs and I then started cottoning onto the fact that some people actually design these things. I'm like, wow, well, I'll never be able to do that. I mean, that, you know, that's only geniuses and mathematicians can do that or people that have been doing this since they were children. And in 2014, I was like, no, well, I'm going to give this a go. I'm going to see how, firstly, how uh, well I can do at this whole origami thing. And can I do something every day? for an entire year, which mm. was just contributing to one project. So that was in 20, 2014. And posting every day, I was sitting in advertising, supposed to be building a website. I had this, you know, this mound of little paper animals around my desk. And I still remember my project manager coming up behind me and is like, dude, website's got to go live. Like now what's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, can I just finish this origami duck tutorial, Wesley? You know, it's like, uh, but so I knew then maybe this uh, working for somebody else is not going to work out for me. So that, I'd, I'd known long before that, but 
it was then that I, I kind of uh, started looking at uh, just quitting my job. Fortunately, the job I was doing, there was a lot of freelance work available, mm. and there still is, um, as, as a web developer or designer. So I had that, and I had a little bit of money saved, and I was doing this origami project. So I quit my job, and through, for the rest of the year, this was in about April of 2014, Continued posting every day of the year on my Instagram account. I branded it. I called it White on Rice, which is the, the brand that I run now. And just a series of fortunate events, just, you know, posting regularly at the right time of the day, uh, different kind of content. Instagram is just starting to become a thing in South Africa. And by the end of the year, I was, I just had amassed quite a large following, which, yeah, I'm still super grateful for today. But I think what, how I, kind of saw this whole thing is I was looking at how other people have made money from origami. So mm. um, installations is one way. So I knew I had to learn how to design origami pieces. I can't go and, you know, if somebody says to me, hi, Ross, you know, we need um, 10 origami goats, for example. I can't go and find a goat design that's designed by somebody else online, take that design, fold 20 of them and then charge people for it. So I knew I had to learn how to design origami. Mm. That was the only way I was going to be able to charge for my services. So that for the, for the installation side, but what I also started doing is I have an interest in music and uh, movies and film and, and just everything, I guess, media related. So I just wanted to find a way to bring all of that together. So doing this little project on Instagram, um, I also decided to start making little animations with the paper, I guess, characters and creatures that I'd been folding. And I started making little stop frame animations. So just in, in terms of, because um, I'm checking out your Instagram page and it's so fascinating to watch. It looks so intricate and detailed. Maybe share with us, before you get to the part of designing, what goes into the folding part? I mean, there are a lot of um, guidelines now. I'm sure you can even order, you know, the square pieces of paper with the, um, you know, the, the lines sort of there for you to guide you. But what goes into learning the folding technique, you know, and then after that, the next step, which is designing. Yeah. So look, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. Um, and maybe the book that I mentioned, the Robert Lang book will definitely map out how you start becoming a designer. But for me, all I did was I just folded as many designs as I could find. Uh, and I, I just found that the designs that were at the beginning, slightly easier I would just not only fold it once, I would fold it once, try and fold it again, and then eventually learn it by heart. Um, mm. And in that way, I was just in the habit of, so instead of me doing the crane, you know, or the little Tsuru bird for years before that, it would change to like maybe me folding a little pig, for example. Mm. And that just kept me interested in the fact that, okay, cool, well, so there's, there's all these other designs. And I just kept folding and folding and folding. Uh, even the same designs over and over again. There's, there's a, is something very therapeutic. I mean, if you've ever done um, origami before, and look, to be honest, at the beginning, it's extremely frustrating because, you know, you're trying, just trying to line a, a folded sheet up with the, you know, the, the piece behind it. Uh, it can be frustrating sometimes. Um, and I've done workshops with people before. And what's strange is the kids pick it up so easy, but adults lose their minds. So they're just like, I can't do this. I'm I think this we overthink things like for us and, and maybe we, you know, kids are more free to them. It's still play for us. It's like we're holding up, our, uh, holding ourselves up against some kind of standard of doing it right. So maybe we just too much in our own heads. When I, uh, when I look exactly, at, yeah. when I'm watching you do it, I'm feeling so stressed. <laughs> 
<laughs> just because I'm like I wouldn't know where to begin or what to do and if by the third fold I've made a mistake I'll be like let me just buy it folded let's keep life yeah, exactly. moving but what was it then once you got into that feel of um, you're trying out different designs you're memorizing it and all of those things what is it about that whole process that you go through that almost feels like I would assume like a meditation of sorts yeah, so now if I'm designing a, a new figure or if I, when I started designing, I, you know, I, I, I would start with, for example, if I wanted to fold a pig, I would look for something that has, so essentially what, how you would, how you would start designing something is, is you would look at the square and say, okay, well, I want to put the head there, I want to put the legs there, I want to put the tail there, and whatever the orientation of the paper is. Uh, generally, you either do it with something called book symmetry, so it's like just a square sheet in front of you. If you tilt it 90 degrees or 45 degrees, it becomes um, a diamond sort of symmetry. So you've got the two points facing the top and the bottom. You look at that sheet and you decide basically where you're going to plot um, the different appendages, essentially. And then using the techniques that you know you do learn over time, you can then say, okay, well, this is, I, I want to extend the legs. I want to make them short. I want to make the head longer. If it's an elephant, you need a nice long nose. If it's a, you know, a shorter tail, that sort of thing. So just from folding hundreds and hundreds of other people's designs and then looking at the techniques that they use to get maybe the hindquarters of what a zebra looks like uh, coupled with the front of a horse and then put a, you know, a horn on front uh, on the front of it to make a unicorn. So it's just taking different parts from other designers and other artists and kind of blending it together. But that is a very long process. It's not, it's not something that you wake up and like, oh, okay, well, I've read a couple of, um, <laughs> a couple of lines on how to do this and, and off you go. So it's just, it's a lot of trial and error. Uh, I mean, I've been busy with a, a tiger design at the moment and I can't even tell you how many iterations of that I've folded. And how I started with that was just, I'd look at other tiger designs. I like the head of that. I like the length of the tail um, and does, essentially what, how, how do I create something that looks like a tiger without having all the, you know, the parts of, a when I say the parts of a tiger, like it's just going to be a plain white sheet of paper, but a tiger has stripes mm. and a tiger has, you know, like a, a quite a large head and you know, those sort of things. So how do you, just with the shape of it, essentially it becomes like sculpture up to a point, but up until that point, it's quite mathematical. Like you've got lines folding diagonal, straight uh, straight through the center. And as you are manipulating and moving the paper into different shapes, it, which up until that point to, to get what you would call the base, it's actually very mathematical. Uh, well, more, it's mathematical, it's, it's a lot of geometry. Yes, yes. So if yes. you fold a, you know, if you fold from, if you fold a, and this is where, you know, your, I guess your grade eight and grade nine mathematics folding a square in half, you get two rectangles. And then if you fold it, if you fold the corners down to the bottom, you get a triangle. And if you bisect that triangle, you get two angles. And then, so I, having failed maths horribly. I was school, literally I to... about to say, why do I have a feeling you didn't do so great in maths? And now here I you are <laughs> needing it for like what you do for a living. Exactly. But I, you know, I, I keep thinking about just on an education level, like had they taught us that take your paper jet and, you know, the math teacher standing there and say, cool, so this is a paper jet, but this is also a rectangle. So mm. if you take this rectangle and you fold it down here, um, maybe explaining to kids a little bit, well, 
the kids like me, you mm. know, the, the guys who, the guys and girls who couldn't really understand, like, why is this teacher just blabbing on about angles and obtuse this and isosceles that? I'm like, man, I just want to go play outside, you know? Yes, so yes. Had, and I think that uh, origami at the moment, there is quite a lot of research going into the, I guess, the mental development uh, potential of it and how it can move into schools. And I, and I, I think there are schools even locally in, in South Africa that are starting to introduce it at, at a young age because it also it taps nicely into your automotive skills. Like you're thinking, okay, cool, well, I'm going to fold this flower. The teacher is going to show me how to take this piece of paper and turn it into that. And just that process alone, I think, is quite rewarding for well, not only for kids, but for, for people in general. Look, I think it is so, so fascinating. And um, I just love the fact that something that seems so ob is actually so massive. When I was speaking to uh, my producer about uh, origami and we were just sort of exploring the idea of having a masterclass on it, I had no idea that it was so big, um, that it was a whole industry. I honestly thought it's just this fun thing that people are really talented and gifted to do. And, you know, they'll, they'll have these little designs all over their office space or wherever. And then that's where it ends. But it's an entire industry, which I think is so beautiful and fascinating. So I'm looking forward to getting all of your calls, your SMSs, your tweets and your WhatsApps. Is origami something that you have been doing or something you look forward to doing and engaging in? Um, uh, our guest is available for all of your questions or maybe you've got your comments on what kind of folding art you have done with papers over the years. Maybe you're not even aware that you have been doing it. Maybe you do it for fun or maybe you sit on YouTube following tutorials and making sure you get super good at it. What are some of the things that uh, you have benefited from engaging with uh, origami we're in conversation with our awesome guest, Ross Simons, who's founder of White on Rice. And I encourage you while we're having this conversation, if you do have Instagram, head over to White on Rice. Scroll down and you'll scroll down for quite a while when he says... He posted something every single day for a year. He literally did it. And we'll talk about the fact that his was not just normal size origami. He actually did some miniature origami. So we'll continue with that masterclass and this conversation when we come back. It's 2.30. 702 Masterclass. We continue with our masterclass on origami and we take your calls on 011 883 your SMS is 31702, your tweets at Relebhile M at Radio 702 using the hashtag 702 Afternoons and the WhatsApp line 0727021702. We're speaking to Ross Simons, founder of White on Rice. Now, Ross, um, a question that I have is around the paper. Um, I recall at some point, I don't know if it was a math class or what class it was, they'd ask us to see how many times we could fold a piece of paper, as in keep folding it in half. And I think the maximum we'd get to is like six or seven. So is there something uh, different about origami paper? So the uh, that, I guess, that, that exercise of folding uh, a piece of paper in half all the time. Um, you're not actually doing that with origami. And yeah, I think it's like you can only fold it maybe, it doesn't matter if you try it with tissue paper or printer paper or cardboard box, you can't fold it more than eight times. Um, and that's purely because of the fact that it just doubles up every time. So eventually the, I guess the consistency of the paper just becomes too thick. But with origami, you're not actually folding on top of the previous layer. Um, you're folding in different parts of the paper. Mm. Uh, but the, the kind of paper 
that you use for origami can be, I mean, you can use any paper. There, you do get specific origami paper, um, and that's that's called Kami, K-A-M-I. Um, and the reason that is called origami paper is generally because it's got a color on the one side and it's white on the other side. And the reason for that is when you are learning origami or you're trying to fold something um, for the first time, well, not for the first time, but if you're just getting, getting into the art, uh, it's easier when you fold a color on top of white to see if the corners and the edges line up. So um, if you are folding a paper, then you can see, okay, cool, well, this is at least, uh, the, the crease is in the, in the right place because mm. essentially uh, getting those lines uh, in, the, in the right place uh, at the beginning or you know, misaligning them even slightly can make the end design and the end model look a little bit out of shape. So uh, I think with Kami, that's, that's kind of what, um, how you would start. But the paper that I've used for, for origami has ranged from, I mean, I prefer to use watercolor paper depending on uh, the, the kind of design I'm doing. If I'm folding something as a decoration or for an installation, which is something I do as well, uh, I do origami installations. Um, and if those uh, uh, objects or if the, the origami pieces need to be uh, kept outside, then I'll use, I, there's a type of paper called Tyvek, which is a, it's, it's the same stuff that they use for, you know, if you go to a, 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 an outdoor event or a party or some, time, or some kind, they, they put those, uh, I guess, plastic-ish bands around your wrist. Mm. And, and that, type, that is actually a type of paper. And it folds quite nicely too. So if it's an outdoor installation, I'll use that type of paper. But if it's something more decorative that it's going to be on somebody's mantelpiece and needs to be there for a long time, then I'll use I'll use a technique called wet folding. So I'll take a, a piece of, um, regardless of the size, uh, of watercolor paper, wet it slightly, and as I'm folding it, it dries slowly into the shape that it needs to be. And as it's drying, it kind of just holds the shape a lot better. Uh, but I've also used I've made my own paper. I've I've used uh, foil backed paper, which is very nice to fold with because. Um, as you know, like if you've ever folded a foil wrapper of some kind, you know, from a chocolate or some sort of uh, food product, it's, it, it stays in the shape that you fold it into um, quite nicely. So, and, and with origami, you want it to stay in that shape, um, but you can use pretty much anything uh, depending on what does it, Usually if you're folding something a lot more uh, delicate and detailed, like an insect, for example, that's got a lot of little appendages and little antennas and legs, um, then you would use something, you would use a larger sheet, which is a lot thinner. Uh, but if you want something more bulky, like a bear or a tiger or a goat, for example, then as the paper kind of dictates what, uh, what the end design is going to look like. So is um, uh, the paper you're describing before Kami, is it a little bit thinner than the kind of paper that we're accustomed to? The paper that we use is, uh, I guess, printer paper. That's that's the best explanation of it. Is uh, is eighty grams per? I think it's G, uh, it's GSM, which is um, grams per square meter, if I'm not mistaken. And that that's basically um, that is a nice, I guess, thickness of paper to fold with. But the the problem is uh, that paper doesn't hold very nicely because it's printer paper. So mm. you'll fold if you if you try and fold like a, a quite a detailed origami design with printer paper, you 
are going to get extremely frustrated. <laughs> and yeah. I've done that, trust me. Um, it just, it tears very easily. Um, and this is why I use uh, watercolor paper because it has cotton in it. So it's got very fine strands of cotton in it. So as you're folding, um, it doesn't tear, it can still tear, yes. but it needs to hold that shape because it's essentially used or designed for, um, you know, for watercolor painting. So it needs to have a bit of water. If it does get a layer of water on it, it, it doesn't completely just uh, destroy the paper. All right, we've got a call. We've got Monet in North Riding. Hi, Monet. Hi, Rebel Sile. Hi, guest. Um, so I have, I got really fascinated by paper folding when one day I folded a jet um, for my little daughter. Um, before you know it, I had a few children around me that didn't know how to fly um, folded jet. Um, and I ended up making a bunch of jets for these um, children. <clears throat> um, I ended up getting more and more interested in this folding and I connected up. I ended up connecting up with a guy from John Collins from overseas, from America, I think. And he holds the record for the, um, folding and throwing the longest jet, paper plane jet. And it's, it's all, he also left his job because he got so fascinated with um, the art of folding, the Japanese art um, of origami um, paper folding. So, and, and it ended, I ended up actually creating a game. And um, my goal is to help people fold their own jets. And I would just like to get your guest's opinion, perhaps, <laughs> on or, or any advice around this type of well, thing. It, 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 so, it sounds like you are, um, that's a great story, man. <laughs> Honestly, that's really cool. And it is, you've just got to follow that, that interest and that, um, I get, you know, for lack of a better use of word, but passion. Um, okay. and if, if you enjoy it and you're getting a reaction from people around you, uh, whether it's kids or adults, it doesn't matter. If, if you're enjoying it and I mean, if you've already connected with, I, I have heard of the guy that uh, you are referring to, um, overseas, uh, keep, Keep him in touch, you know, keep him in touch with you and tell him what you're doing. I mean, if you want, you can send uh, send me maybe an Instagram message and just say, hey, look, this is what I'm doing. I'd love to share, share what you're doing um, with my followers. So, yeah, I mean, just keep keep going at it, man. I think there's a very small uh, origami community in South Africa that you can connect with called uh, Origami for Africa. And, yeah, just keep at it. I think it's a great idea. It's a great initiative. And the fact that you're helping children as well is amazing. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you so Thank much you. for that morning in North Riding. And then we've got a voice note. Hi, Lebo. Um, yeah, it's really here. Very interesting uh, to, uh, discussion there in, in relation to origami. Here's the thing now, uh, I'm very artistic. I'm, I'm a very artistic person and I can do things with the paper. And I can do little structures and little animals and, and other things. But now my, my problem is I cannot do that only with paper. You know what I mean? I have to put a little bit of cello tape there because the structure is falling apart or it's not attaching to the other side nicely. So my question to your guest is, does he strictly, you know, work with paper? He doesn't do like a stapler, you know, staple the corner there or use the cello tape on the other side. So is he strictly using uh, paper only? Thanks. Mm, thank you so much for that question. And I think um, um, maybe that is what differentiates origami from 
um, other types of paper structures. Absolutely, from from paper art. And uh, yeah, to to that uh, person's question, I I'm not a purist. I you know I've I've I think I've worked out how to use origami and how to design with origami um, in order to create. I tell stories, you know, I create animations, so with paper. So the origami side of it, um, I'm, I'm not opposed to, I don't use glue. I, well, I, I say I don't use glue, but I, don't, I wouldn't use sellotape or, um, or, you know, a stapler of any kind. Because uh, with origami, you're starting with a single sheet of paper. And the, the structure of the paper doesn't change. So with the person that was online now, he was... He's trying to take uh, separate parts of paper and, and merge them or um, oh, fuse them together. Yes, so yes. that's why that's why he would need to use uh, glue and whatever. And yes, those structures will fall over. But what I urge him to do maybe is to instead of trying to use multiple pieces of paper, cut the entire structure in a flat lay um, out of one sheet of paper. So you know, if if he's building a house, for example, instead of trying to get you know the front door or the uh, the front wall, the back wall, whatever, as separate sheets or as separate pieces. Maybe see if he can do a flat lay of some kind. Uh, when I say flat lay, just using one sheet of paper, because then the structure stays within, um, well, it just stays a lot more stable. Then instead of him having to fold, uh, having to sellotape something together, all he would need to do is add a fold or a crease into that. So that's one way of going about it. But just in terms of the, you know, in terms of origami, it is essentially uh, no cuts, no glue, and uh, just strictly folding. And apparently, if you're a real purist in origami, you don't actually fold it on a flat surface. You actually fold like in your hands in the air. So, but wow. again, that's that is. That no, is that's, incredible. That's next level <laughs> yes, yes. So maybe let's talk about techniques. When we come back, I want us to, to just get into some of the techniques you use. You've already mentioned, you know, using a, a, a wetting technique. We'll get into that. Please keep those questions and comments coming through. O double one double eight three oh seven oh two in the WhatsApp line. Oh seven two seven oh two one seven oh two. Seven oh two. Masterclass. We're in a masterclass around origami and we're speaking to Ross Simons, founder of white on rice and before we took a break a break ross i was asking the question around the techniques that you use and maybe um you can also include if you ever use tools to to help you like um something maybe to help you uh put a a, a, a sharp crease in there or maybe to hold things or something to make you feel like you have extra fingers or maybe if the paper's really really small are using tweezers and things like that yeah, so I, depending on the size of the, the design that I'm working on, um, if it's, as you mentioned earlier about the, um, I did a little miniature project. So, you know, tiny little origami, um, would be essentially, I would start with a sheet of paper that is maybe one by one centimeter, which is tiny, uh, and then fold something from that. And your fingers can't get in there. So I would use I would, whatever I could find really, whether it's a pen or a toothpick. Um, but I do have, I guess, specialized tools, which are tweezers and um, crimping tools that you can use just to, to hold the, the paper to just in, in a specific position. Um, that's for smaller f- uh, folds. If I'm doing something larger scale uh, and I want to get the creases as straight and as, I guess, as um, neat as possible, I'll use a scoring tool, which is uh, something referred to as a, bo- a bone folder. It's actually a it looks like a plastic um, letter opener, but 
the one end's got a, a sort of um, point at the end and the other side is, is a bit more flat. So, and that folds a, a, a long paper quite nicely. So you can make the creases a lot sharper and make the creases a lot more, a lot neater, as I said. Um, so I'll lay, lay out uh, whatever the design is on, um, on a larger sheet, score the paper first, uh, and then it just makes the folds a little, uh, a little easier to fold. That combined with uh, a wet folding technique where you kind of wet the paper with a sponge or um, you don't drench it. It's not like you dip it in paper, but uh, dip it in water. You just give it a light, you know, spray of whatever liquid you're using. And I used water in this case. Um, and there are, yeah, th those are kind of the techniques that I use. And I think that that it pretty much sums up what most um, artists do use. I have seen that a lot of artists use uh, clothes pegs and uh, just little, uh, I guess, holders just to keep the paper in place as either as the paper dries or if you finished with a section of maybe you've finished folding the the head and you want that to stay in place while you fold the rest of the uh, figure you just you'll use those little uh, clipper clips or paper clips even um are an option as well i mean I, i'm curious about your miniature project and how that was not like the most overwhelming and stressful thing in your life i know that there are a lot of art <laughs> forms that are obsessed with um miniature things i see there's this um i don't know if you've seen the account on instagram but it's a tiny kitchen where a person will literally bake or cook in this miniature kitchen where the items are are the size of fingertips how were you able to do that? Do you constantly need to sit with magnifying glasses um, to be able to to see in a ratio that you're able to work with? And was it not just stressful and overwhelming because it's so small? It it was a lot more challenging then. So that was the second. I did two 365-day uh, projects on Instagram where I posted one figure every day of the year. But the second one, which was the miniature origami project, was... Um, it was a lot more challenging, I'll admit, um, but it was literally just a case of changing the, the size of the paper. And, you know, at the beginning, I'd get it horribly wrong by either going too small um, or using the incorrect paper. And then halfway through the design, I'm kind of like, well, this is not working. So I've got to start again. And when you're half an hour into folding something that you were hoping looks like a dragon and now looks like, you know, a half of a donkey's face or something. It's just, <laughs> it's, it, it gets a bit, um, yeah, I wouldn't say stressful. I'm fortunately not a very stressed out person, but I mean, frustrating. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So let's go the opposite end of the size spectrum. And we talk about the massive, massive origamis. How big are we talking about? And talk to me about uh, your installations. You know, how do you get a massive piece of paper to hold? So the, the, the last installation I did, um, I had to fold, it was over 30 uh, origami zebras. So design the zebra and, and fold it. And those, I had to make sure that those were get, getting given away as, uh, as gifts to, to, you know, whoever entered uh, the competition. It was part of a brand campaign. So whoever entered that would then win those. So I had to make sure that those, when they do go home to the people that won them, needed to stay in that, um, in, in that shape. Uh, because I have seen, I mean, I've, I've visited people that I folded stuff for like years later and I see, I'm like, oh, I see I folded that. And then I can't quite make out <laughs> what I folded them because it, over time, because at the beginning I was using the incorrect paper and I wasn't using techniques that actually held the model or design together. So what I've started doing now, like I said, the wet folding technique really works uh, quite nicely, but also using locking techniques within the paper. So uh, sometimes you can actually... Um, fold the paper in a way that it stays in that position. Uh, it actually locks in. 
And that's one technique. But as I said, I'm not a purist. So if I do need to use a bit of glue here and there, I will, because um, I would rather that piece gets, you know, kept for as long as possible and recognizable as the shape that I've folded it originally as, um, as opposed to it kind of wilting and, and just, yeah, turning, returning back to its original shape, which is just a flat sheet. Do the purists judge you for using glue? Oh, I'm sure they do. <laughs> I, I mean, I if they do, that's all good. But, you know, I'm, I'm also not afraid to call myself a commercial artist. So I, I, do, this, uh, I do this for money. I enjoy what I do. I really, um, I, I love what I do. Um, but I need to make money so I can survive. So, yes. you know, if, I, if, if it means using scissors here and there, and if I'm cutting the paper maybe and using glue, if a purist, is going to tell me, listen, man, you're not, you can't really call yourself an artist. Well, I'll take it on the chin. But yeah. to be honest, it's, it's, it's more about, um, it's the creative side of it. It's, it's being able to, as close as possible, using a, just a single sheet of paper, trying to create something um, that looks like what I'm aiming to, to fold. There's a, a WhatsApp that says, another popular character that was fond of origamis is Michael Schofield from Prison Break. I actually had forgotten about that completely. <laughs> Thank you so much for reminding us, DJ Nupro in Kempton Park. What are your final thoughts and what would you like the listeners to know about this wonderful art form? I think that uh, if you are interested in it and, um, you know, you don't know where to start, just start where everyone else does, which is on the Internet. So just go onto YouTube, Google Origami. There's a couple of people that um, really have a lot of very good tutorials. I've got a couple of my, my own up there, but I, yeah, I haven't really gotten around to, to doing too many of them. But just pick something that's quite simple. Don't start at the sort of complex level. Uh, find the simplest designs you can. Learn how to fold that design and then see if you can learn it uh, by heart and, and try to fold it, you know, as many times as possible and then move on to the next design. And if you enjoy, you know, the simpler designs, maybe move on to something a little bit more challenging and, and a bit more complex. And yeah, who knows? You might be the next White on Rice. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Find him on Instagram, White on Rice. That is Ross Simons, the founder of White on Rice and today's masterclass, a guest on Origami.